Hi, Vet Girl here today with Dr. Deb Silverstein, who's a professor of critical care at Penn Vet. She's one of my old mentors and super excited to have her on today. So Dr. Silverstein, thank you so much for taking the time to do today's Vet Girl podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Justine. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. So as soon as I saw a publication come out that you are a co-author on called Evaluation of the Placement and Maintenance of Central Venous Jugular Catheters in Critically Ill Dogs and Cats that was published in JVEC this year of 2018, I wanted to touch base with you because I often feel like these are so helpful in clinical practice, but a lot of people, especially in general practice, are nervous about placing them. So I was wondering before we even jump into the study, if you could talk about the the pros and cons of using central lines in terms of, can we do this in general practice? Should we be doing it with every single patient or should we be just doing it in the ER or ICU? Right. That, that's an excellent question. And I, I think a lot of veterinary students leave their veterinary alma mater wondering the same question. And then as they go through practice, of course, they're using primarily peripherally inserted central catheters and less commonly the central venous catheters. So it, it is something that we all face in managing both short-term as well as longer-term patients in the hospital. And I, I think probably just comfort is one of the primary factors for why so many veterinarians prefer having just peripheral catheterization in most of their patients. And for short-term procedures or, or anesthetics, peripheral catheter is, is generally adequate and, and no more invasive catheterization is needed. But there are specific patients that might benefit from having a centrally placed catheter. And the study we'll talk about really looks at centrally placed jugular catheters. But we can actually access the central circulation, which is defined as a catheter whose tip is uh, ending in either the cranial or caudal vena cava. Uh, and we can access that both by using the jugular vein or potentially by using a peripheral vein where we just feed in a longer catheter that can extend to a point within the caudal vena cava from, let's say, a lateral or medial saphenous vein. So although this study is looking at jugular, there are a lot of other ways to, to get into the central circulation. So when is it that we might prefer to have a central venous catheter over a peripheral catheter? Well, in, in many of our critically ill patients that have a prolonged hospitalization, uh, it is often easier to maintain a centrally located catheter for a longer period of time. For shorter-term patients, though, sometimes we choose to have a centrally placed catheter because either their peripheral veins are not easily accessible, uh, perhaps they've had chemotherapy, or uh, perhaps they're just very small uh, or young or neonates where we can't easily access the peripheral circulation. So a centrally placed catheter is actually easier. But more often, I feel like we're, we're needing more, more than one lumen to deliver medications that may not be compatible, uh, perhaps for giving any type of caustic medication that could lead to irritation or premature removal of a peripheral catheter. Um, hypertonic medications, possibly even total parenteral nutrition if, if that is used. And these catheters, when placed into the central vena cava, into the cranial vena cava, can actually be used easily for measuring central venous pressure, for measuring oxygen saturation, 
Uh, and any centrally placed catheter can be used for obtaining frequent blood samples without having to do percutaneous sticks. So it can be more comfortable for the patients as well. And we often have patients in the hospital that suffer from gastrointestinal upset and may have perfused vomiting or diarrhea that makes it really difficult to keep the peripherally located catheters clean. So we know that one of the potential uh, complications of any catheter is infection. And so to decrease that risk, decrease the number of times we have to rewrap a catheter, clean a catheter, um, try to maintain a peripheral catheter, sometimes just having a centrally located jugular catheter can actually be much easier in those patients. So I, I think the the pros for patients that really do require multiple medications, multiple fluids, maybe even parenteral nutrition, as well as caustic medication, hypertonic medication, frequent blood sampling, or CVP, central venous pressure or oxygen saturation monitoring are the ones that most commonly fit the bill for benefiting from a, a centrally placed catheter. One of the requirements for placing a jugular catheter is that the animal obviously has to lay still, and it can be done with an animal sternal, but more commonly, we prefer lateral recumbency just so that we can control the visualization and placement of the catheter without the animal moving as much. And so frequently, the patients require mild to moderate sedation. Rarely will they have to be anesthetized unless, a, let's say, a cut down is necessary, but that's infrequent. So the the animals that maybe are severely dyspneic or cannot tolerate being in, in lateral recumbency may be more difficult to place these in, but generally the degree of sedation is safe even for critically ill patients. So that's fantastic information. Now, in terms of the general practitioner, technically, do you mind just walking through how difficult is it physically to put in once we lightly sedate these patients, once we put them in lateral recumbency, if we buy a central line kit, how expensive is it? And is it relatively technically easy to put in? Sure. Yeah, those are great questions. And for for most people, putting a peripheral catheter into the jugular vein, which is the first step for using the modified Seldinger technique to place a central venous line, is really not difficult. Um, there are specific situations or breeds where it can be more challenging, but for the most part, we can easily visualize the uh, jugular vein when an animal is in lateral recumbency. Sometimes we place a small roll of gauze or other material under the downside of the neck to help make the, the jugular stand up and be more parallel with the neck for placement. But we hold off the jugular just as we would for a stick. Um, and after a sterile preparation of the neck, we, we can make a nick in the skin if desired. And then really we start the procedure with placing a regular peripheral intravenous catheter into the jugular vein, which is subsequently used for placing a guide wire, dilating the vessel, and then placing the, the permanent single or multi-lumen jugular catheter. Um, although these, these can be a little bit more expensive than uh, typical catheters, Usually the duration of time that we can keep them in combined with the comfort to the patient and the multiple uses for the catheter, we see the, the cost as being justified. Depending on the size of the catheter and the number of lumens 
and the manufacturer. Usually we use either a two or three lumen jugular catheter, and these range anywhere from about $100 to $150 for the client. Different hospitals might charge different placement fees or sedation fees, but in general, we can place one of these catheters for under $150. Wonderful. So we probably put one in once a week at the specialty practice that I work at in the Twin Cities. And again, it's especially helpful in those sick DKA cats that resent phlebotomy, really helps with patient comfort. And, you know, again, really does minimize um, any kind of trauma or stress to that, that veterinary patient. Now, in terms of your veterinary study, I had a couple of questions. Um, when you guys evaluated your prospective observational study over a one-year period, I know that you looked at both dogs and cats and was wondering if you could tell us what you found in that study in terms of what problems did you notice and what was the frequency of problems or was there any condition associated with unsuccessful catheterization? Sure. Yeah, that was really the goal of this study was to better describe any procedural complications or maintenance complications once the catheter was in, in both dogs and cats. And what what we found is that out of uh, 47 attempts at placement, we actually had a 91% successful placement, and 79% of those catheters were placed successfully on the first attempt. So we basically had one stick at the jugular, and the catheter went in, and then the procedure went smoothly. There were uh, the remaining 20%, 21% did require more than one stick, but on average, it's it's not generally more than two sticks for the patient if the first attempt does not go smoothly. The What we found in terms of the procedural difficulties that caused us to not successfully place the catheter were that either we just couldn't puncture the vessel, and this is more common in animals that either have a very thick neck or perhaps a very fat neck uh, or some sort of breed makeup that makes their jugular uh, be quite deep in the neck, and so it's quite hard to visualize. Uh, We had uh, six patients that developed a hematoma out of 47. We had one catheter that was malpositioned, and we had one that had an accidental dislodgement while the catheter was being secured into the animal. But for the most part, uh, we we felt as though a 91% placement rate was good and that this is a procedure that with practice can, can be mastered fairly easily. In terms of uh, the overall procedural complications, uh, we we did have uh, just around 50% that had some complication. They generally were very mild and didn't lead to morbidity of the patient during hospitalization. Uh, one was the, the most common complication during the procedure was arrhythmias, and I think this is probably due to the fact that we use a guide wire to place into the vessel through that peripheral catheter so that we can then place the permanent catheter over it. Uh, and, and sometimes we advance that wire further than it needs to go such that it tickles the heart. We generally do monitor the electrocardiogram during placement. And if we see a VPC or any type of arrhythmia, we immediately pull the guide wire back. 
in the ideal world, perhaps we would pre-measure wires before placement and only advance them as far as necessary, but this is a little bit extra time in the procedure that we, we don't generally do. Um, we also did see six of the animals that had the hematoma, as I mentioned, and then we had four that although we did place the peripheral catheter into the neck, we had difficulty feeding the wire or the final multi-lumen catheter into the neck. And this can occasionally happen in animals that seem to just have some sort of either uh, valve in their jugular at the thoracic inlet or perhaps some sort of venous malformation that we're not aware of or stricture or something that's preventing us from adequately feeding the catheter into the vein. And then again, we had one that just was malpositioned and didn't go where we had anticipated. When we looked specifically at the risk factors for needing more than one placement attempt, so those animals where the initial stick was not successful, we found that animals who were older tended to have more than one placement attempt. And the difference was just a few years of uh, seven and a half in the animals who did not have more than one placement attempt versus 10.6 years in the animals that did have more than one placement attempt. We also found that those animals with smaller size, so the animals more around 4.4 kilograms versus those at 8 kilograms also needed more than one placement attempt. And interestingly, the thinner the animal was, so their body condition score did seem to be associated with difficulty for placement with thinner animals having more problems with placement. So overall, again, the, the placement on the first attempt was good, but uh, there were some more need for uh, maybe two attempts or more in patients that were older, had a smaller body weight or a thinner body condition score. We also found that the smaller patients more commonly developed the arrhythmias that I mentioned, again, probably because the guide wires just advance further in them, given that the guide wires come as a standard length in the package. When we look more specifically at the, the patient complication rate during hospitalization, so not placement now, but actually just maintenance of the catheter, um, almost 70% of the patients had no complications while the jugular catheter was in place. Um, we did have a total of 18 complications in 14 patients. Most commonly was mechanical obstruction. So the catheter probably either developed a clot at the tip of the lumen or potentially within the lumen, such that we were unable to aspirate blood from the lumen. And very commonly this happens in one out of three, let's say, lumens, but we still have the ability to aspirate blood from the others. We also saw some degree of skin irritation in six of these 14 patients. There was a change in position of the catheter in four where it got pulled out a little bit or something happened where it wasn't uh, at the proper placement position, which is usually just cranial to the right atrium if we were to take a radiograph. And then in one of the patients, we had evidence of inflammation at the catheter insertion site. We found that the risk factors for developing some sort of indwelling complication were related to longer dwell time. So animals that only needed the catheter for three days as opposed to five days had fewer complications. And we also looked at a variety of different medications that were placed through the catheter to try and determine whether or not irritant medications led to more complications. And we actually did find that 
out of a fairly large list of irritant medications that we had created uh, based on some human papers that the administration of irritant medications to these patients did seem to be associated with an increase in the risk for indwelling complications. So I think this is something that requires further investigation just to try and figure out what we could do to maybe either dilute or potentially even give these medications over a longer period of time to try and decrease this uh, incidence of complications and, and problems with the catheters. So in terms of drugs that you think may have been irritating to the vein resulting in potential complications for central venous line administration, do you mind just giving us an example, a couple of drugs that you think we should potentially be evaluating more or diluting more? I know you guys use a lot of drugs in the ICU, but there's probably some drugs that our general practitioners would be using quite frequently also. Yes, and I'm I'm saying this more from my own assessment rather than true evidence-based medicine, but we we know that chemotherapeutic agents can be irritating. We don't often place a central line just for the delivery of chemotherapy, but some of these animals may be in the hospital while starting chemotherapy or perhaps having complications. I think chemotherapeutics are one that is commonly known. Hypertonic agents, such as very concentrated potassium supplementation, perhaps even high concentrations of dextrose, it comes as 50%. We often try to get it to 5% or lower, but there's those occasional patients with, let's say, with an insulinoma or some other potential reason to be hypoglycemic that require greater than 7% dextrose. We, we try to go through the, the central lines. For anyone that may be using parenteral nutrition, that obviously can be irritating. Maybe mannitol, hypertonic saline, or potentially sodium bicarbonate. We know that there are some vesicating agents, such as calcium gluconate, even midazolam or diazepam, as well as the catecholamines. So things like dopamine or norepinephrine, phenylephrine can also be quite irritating. One of the interesting tidbits that I realized when we were looking into the human medication protocols and and some of the irritant antibiotics, the list is pretty long, even for drugs that I never truly associated as being irritating through a peripheral catheter. But on the, the human irritating antibiotic list, they do include drugs such as ampicillin, azithromycin, enrofloxacin, cephalosporins, uh, metronidazole, Solbactam, uh, the carbapenems or ticarcillin, as well as amikacin, uh, and even chloramphenicol. So I think there are quite a few commonly used antibiotics on this list. And then drugs that may not be used quite as commonly in, in private practice, like amiodarone, uh, some of the opioids, which I know are used frequently, like hydromorphone, but itraconazole. Uh, I feel like a lot of people use meropotent now or serenia. Metoclopramide can be irritating on Dancitron and even propofol. So there, there are quite a few drugs that we use with fair frequency that perhaps if we have the luxury of giving them either over a longer period of time or perhaps as diluted as possible, maybe it would decrease the incidence of, of catheter-related complications. 
Great information. Thank you so much. I noticed that in this study, you guys had such a high success rate with placement. I should probably also disclose that the veterinary nurses at Penn are amazing and can put catheters into anything. <laughs> so that probably <laughs> helped with the study too. So right, right. in conclusion, it sounds like the complications that are documented with placement of central lines is relatively low, even in critically ill patients. Do you have any last tips that you want to leave with our vet girl listeners in terms of um, central line placement or complication risks? Sure. I, I think in general, I'd like to encourage all practitioners to become more comfortable with the placement of central lines for patients who would benefit in the long term from having these catheters. And if anyone ever has questions about placement, there there are videos online that can be watched. Some of them are for people, but I'm always happy to talk to folks or even send videos if that's helpful to try and help people get more comfortable with this procedure. We have nurses around the country that can potentially come to clinics and help with the placement of central lines or if a practice ever wanted to send a nurse to a, a specialty hospital or university setting, I'm sure that it would be possible to train them so that they can bring it back to their hospital as well. I think it's important to realize that there is not a lot of evidence-based medicine uh, on the, the placement as well as maintenance complications in small animal patients. This is still a small study. There are many more larger studies in, in human medicine. And interestingly, there was a study over the summer published in human medicine where they actually looked at 10,949 people <laughs> with central lines and found they were looking at mechanical complications, found a 1.1% mechanical complication rate. So I think we, we still have a long ways to go in understanding the benefits and risks of centrally placed catheters but I do encourage everybody to consider these in patients that will benefit and not be scared of the placement procedure itself. Once, once it's mastered, it's really fairly easy to do. Uh, more and more people are using ultrasound guidance now, and there are labs at almost all conferences on learning how to access vascular structures with probes. And it's, it's not a hard procedure to learn in people. They found it greatly increases the success with first-time placement. So we have a long way to go with better placement as well as fewer complications and understanding what the current complication rates are. But it is a procedure that benefits a lot of very sick animals. Fantastic information. Thank you so much again, Dr. Silverstein, for taking the time to talk to us about this study. And we really appreciate it. And we know that our Vet Girl listeners love listening to your podcast. So thank you again. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And take care. Take care. 